You are listening to the Compliance Conversations podcast by Healthicity. If you work in the healthcare industry, you know how crucial compliance is to your bottom line, your reputation, and the success of your organization as a whole. If this is your first time listening, welcome. A transcript of every Compliance Conversations episode can be found at www.healthicity.com resources, along with a ton of other thought leadership materials. You can add us to your RSS feed and iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Compliance Conversations. I'm CJ Wolf with Healthicity, and today's guest is LaTanya McNair. Welcome, LaTanya. Uh, thank you so much, CJ. Great to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yes, and you've been a guest before, but maybe we just take a moment and you just you know take 30 seconds to introduce yourself. Tell us what you're doing now. We know you have a lot of great coding experience and auditing background, and we're going to get into that today. But what are you doing now? Well, currently, CJ, I am the client success manager for Healthicity. So um, when, they, when Healthicity brings on new clients, I will take that client under my wing and uh, train them on how to use our audit manager, um, how to um, go into the audit manager and to use their um, clinical documentation uh, to make sure that the providers are documenting according to what's being um, audited and to score basically that audit and to how to build um, reports and give professional uh, feedback to the providers as to the um, audit findings. Excellent. Excellent. That's good work. And I'm sure you see a lot of variety, you know, working with clients, they're auditing different things. Um, And today we're going to talk about a very specific type of auditing, radiation oncology. And that is, can be very difficult for a lot of people, especially if they have not done it before. It's almost, you know, we know in coding and reimbursement, you, you do tend to specialize in certain areas, right? Cause it can be, it can be difficult to, to learn. And radiation oncology is one of those areas that I think in my many years of experience, people have struggled uh, with that a little bit. Would you think that's true? Oh, absolutely, CJ. Um, radiation oncology is a very a specific uh, focused area of coding. Yeah. And it takes a really keen eye to be able to um, identify what, what needs to be captured uh, during that process. And so I have had the um, advantage, the wonderful advantage of going out into the field and doing what we call uh, new acquisitions, which means that when um, different providers are acquired, I would go out and train and develop those staff members on the the corporation's policies and procedures, the workflow of their new organization, uh, things of that nature, building uh, successful uh, medical coders, CJ, for radiation oncology. And I was also a... um, what they call a ROC, uh, R-O-C-C, Radiation Oncology Certified Coder. You know, I Great. hold a ROC, uh, held a ROC certification as well. So, Excellent. So you have a lot of great experience working with uh, radiation oncology groups. So we're, we're eager to pick your brain a little bit today. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's just kind of start with kind of broad picture. What would you say are some of the key factors that contributed contribute to quality coding in radiation oncology? What, what are some of those key factors? Well, CJ, you know what? 
it all has to do with uh, educating that coder on what to code, um, showing them, you know, what it looks like um, to code like weekly or the type of plans that are required that are specific to a, patient, a patient's cancer and their tumor volume. What type of documentation supports your billable codes? And one of the main things about radiation oncology coding, CJ, is payer-specific guidelines. For yeah. example, if I'm coding something in the state of, say, Nevada, if I were to go and code for the state of California, you're in a whole different, you know, ballgame as far as, you know, what type of um, code capture you're going to generate from uh, uh, payer specific guidelines according to those states. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. What well, and so um, are those Medicare specific? Are they Medicaid specific? What what's differing from state to state? Is it um, a state you got reg it. or a payer reg? What? Exactly, all of the above. It okay. could be a payer specific guideline, CJ. Um, it could be something Medicare wants you to do as opposed to how Medicaid uh, wants you to, to um, code that out. So it, it's state specific and payer specific. And the biggest key you could ever use um, is following those guidelines. You want to make sure that you're looking at your payer specific guidelines for successful coding. Yeah. You know, and I probably should have started a little bit, you know, most people know about oncology in general. Oncology is a broad specialty, right? Where you're treating cancer. Cancer can be treated with chemotherapy, with certain uh, immunotherapies. Radiation oncology is a specific kind, excuse me, where, you know, they're using medically, they're using radiation in different forms to treat that cancer. So it's not, it's not chemo. But, and these are, there's often machines that have to generate the radiation and shoot the radiation in a certain way. Uh, You might use brachytherapy and these other things where you're, you know, inserting types of radiation. So uh, for our listeners, just kind of keep in mind, we're talking about that specifically radiation. So what you've outlined some of the key factors, what are some of the factors in failing a radiation coding audit? Well, you you just you just nailed it in your summary of um, what uh, radiation uh, radiation oncology is all about, CJ. And one of the biggest things that uh, a coder could do when it comes to actually passing an audit is to know what to look for. When we talk about the delivery um, of uh, different uh, radiation modalities. Uh, whether or not the provider is recommending the patient has like um, a, a treatment with a 3D plan versus um, an IMRT plan versus a 2D plan. Knowing the different plans can be um, the determining factor on whether or not a audit could pass or fail. You know, and you really touched on something really good when, when you talk about the moda- modality of radiation oncology. My, my myself, with my personal experience, mm-hmm. I was always fascinated by the different types of treatments a patient right. can undergo when it comes to how the provider uh, decides to treat that patient's cancer and that patient's tumor volume. 
And knowing the various isodose plans, CJ, can be that determining factor. Yeah, and there's there's physicists involved, right, in calculating certain things. It's not always the physician who's doing some of the things. Um, you know, they're overseeing the treatment. Uh, I remember, so I used to work at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas, and I was there as they were building their proton therapy center, which at the time, and this was many years ago, but at the time it was it was a newer type of, of treatment modality. I remember um, uh, touring the facility and it was like a, like a mini uh, nuclear plant, it seemed like, <laughs> with all the safety and all the equipment and all the things going on. Um, so... You mentioned IMRT. That stands for intensity intensity modulated, right? Exactly, intensity radiation modulated therapy. radiation therapy. Right. And uh, and you know what? You make a very good point, CJ, um, when you talk about touring the facility because I had the advantage of sitting down with certain uh, physicists and dosimetrists and having them to explain to me the various uh, treatment plans. And right. so because I wanted to be able to take that information back to the medical coders and say, when you're looking at this plan, this is a 2D plan, this is a 3D plan, this is an IMRT plan, to give them that visual um, effect. Because as you know, CJ, sometimes a physicist and a dosimetrist, they'll get together and they will draw up multiple plans um, that would uh, cater to uh, targeting that patient's tumor volume. And they would present that plan to the, um, the provider and right. it would be the provider's um, determine, makes the determination on which treatment plan would best uh, treat that patient's cancer and go in and treat that patient's tumor volume. So um, wonderful experience and very advantageous for a coder to know the difference. Yeah, I, I agree with you. If you're going to be involved in this area, it's such a unique area of coding and medicine, right? You, you think of other areas of medicine like surgery where, you know, you read the operative report and they're cutting things out and they're doing this and that. With radiation oncology, it's almost like its own little world where there's all these different specialists, like you mentioned, the dosimetrist the physicist, um, and they're using special equipment that's that's really unique. And so a lot of the terminology, a lot of the medicine, uh, medical approaches is different. And so sitting down with these professionals is a really good way to have them walk you through all of these, these specific types of plans. Um, you know, the other thing that I remember is the difference between kind of the technical component and the professional component. Some codes are only technical, correct me if I'm wrong, right? Some are only the technical component. Some have both. Some might only be professional component. Is that accurate? That is totally accurate. And sometimes um, when we talk about capturing the technical component versus the uh, professional component, it can get very tricky, CJ. And it really depends on that provider when they're uh, doing certain images if they're signing off on those images in a timely manage, manner can be the determining factor on if you're going to capture the professional component or that technical component. So you really have to pay attention because some of those documents are very time sensitive. You're absolutely yeah. correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Well, yeah. good. So tell us a little bit about documents. What type of documentation should the medical coder be looking for when they're beginning these types of reviews and audits? You know, the first thing I would always recommend to a coder, CJ, when you talk about how radiation oncology, um, I always say radiation oncology fits like a puzzle. Yes. You know how, CJ, when you're looking at a puzzle and you want to build a puzzle, you can you can look at a puzzle and you can identify with, like, say, the end pieces. And right, right. then you could, you know, try to pick apart um, the various colors that are in a puzzle, right? Exactly. The same principle applies to radiation oncology. You're identifying key um documents that are needed to fit that overall puzzle to code for radiation oncology. And when we talk about auditing and the required documentation that um, auditors want to see, or if you get audited from an external audited auditor, what do they want to see? Um, you want to make sure that you have um, uh, notes from the referring physician. Right. You want to make sure that the documentation con, uh, contains a EM consult visit. Uh, you want to make sure you have a, a treatment plan, an isodose plan. And there's very um, specific documents that you would uh, find in that chart, whether or not they are weekly documents or daily documents. In order to fit the big piece of that puzzle, you want to look for a specific daily treatments, weekly treatments, you know, that's that sort of thing, CJ. Yeah, I remember. So I, I think you pointed at this out. This is a good point that, you know, a patient has cancer, right? They may be, di they're typically not diagnosed by the radiation oncologist, right? They're diagnosed by somebody else. And so there's this initial consult or referral. Maybe it's mm -hmm. a surgeon, maybe it's an mm -hmm. oncologist saying, look, we feel that these treatments might be helpful, but radiation really might be helpful. We need to get a consult. So the, that's kind of that initial introduction to radiation oncology. And then, as you mentioned, that consult will result in some sort of plan, a treatment plan. They decide what kind of radiation to give, how many doses, right? And then they yeah. simulate it usually, right? Before they actually shoot you with real radiation, they do a simulation because they want to isolate the area of cancer the goal here in radiation oncology is to kill and to target the cancer cells without damaging healthy cells. And so exactly. there's, yeah, there's very precise measurements, computer models are used. And so you're developing this, this plan, you do a simulation usually of some kind. And then you mentioned those weekly visits. Um, I, I also remember, and you mentioned this kind of weekly physics reports, port films exactly. are things that I recall blocks they have to make blocks because what blocks are is they they're making blocks to protect the healthy tissue so yes. these are actual physical blocks that are shaped um in a certain way so that radiation will go through the open spaces and not the blocked spaces to help protect healthy tissue um all sorts of things special dosimetry and then there can be changes in the plan right Exactly. Yes. You make a wonderful point, CJ, because I've always been uh, fascinated by specifically when a provider decides to treat a patient with like a combination of uh, an IMRT plan and combine that with like an IGRT, uh, IGRT plan. Right. And the IGRT is that image guided radiation therapy. 
So when you talk about um, uh, administering that radiation to a patient's uh, tumor volume, right? And then you talk about how um, the IGRT comes in and as different um, parts of your body move, how the image guided part of that, it's still able to administer that radiation to that tumor volume. And maybe your body is moving at the same time and the IGRT is focused in with uh, the moving part, right? So that it can still protect um, the radiation from going to other uh, structures that you don't want to receive that radiation. It is the most fascinating thing I've ever seen is to do an IMRT and in a combination with the IGRT to protect, like you said, those critical structures, CJ. It's amazing. Yeah. And and patients usually go through, they usually get um, like a radiation, the actual radiation on a weekly basis, right? And, yes. and it may vary, correct me here, four to eight weeks is typical or what have you seen as far as the total treatment time? Absolutely. You would, it, it, it would be very typical to see a four to eight week um, treatment plan. And you just touched on something really, really important there, CJ, when we talk about weekly visits, but you have to make sure that you're paying attention to the treatment log because yes. certain patients, depending on what's being treated, um, I've actually seen where they've had like uh, on a daily basis, that uh, patient would come in for like, say, an AM treatment and then turn around and come back in for a PM treatment. And so when we talk about um, specific codes that were uh, required, we also want to touch base on specific uh, modifiers that are required when you're treating, say, an AM uh, AM patient that's coming in for that PM visit also, because you have to use specific modifiers to identify uh, those AM and PM treatments, CJ. Yes. Yeah. That's a good point, right? Cause that's all the same date of service and, it, exactly. and from the claim submission perspective, it'll, it could look like, Oh, why are you double billing? But you're really, like you mentioned, you have a morning radiation and a, an afternoon or evening. So good point. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about how some of the missteps get enforced with OIG, um, you know, have facilities and physician groups been hit hard with OIG and, and DOJ penalties? I've seen some things in the headlines, but what are your thoughts? On oh my gosh, CJ, you know what they, the, remember how we were talking about the, the key factor is knowing those specific isodose plans and uh, the treatment modality, the, how they're going to uh, go about treating that patient. You, Oh my gosh. When, so when you talk about OIG penalties, it's because not only um, are they not um, coding and billing those out um, properly, um, it's because they could uh, be unbundling also, CJ, because um, with that treatment plan, that initial treatment plan comes you know, with your simulation and right. you know, other different um, the codable events are going to be bundled into that treatment plan. And so you want to make sure that you're not unbundling those. Yeah. You know, it's like, and I tried to explain to physicians in my years of of working with them, um, they want to report every single step code, 
because they did all of those things and they want to get all their credit. But to your point, there's, if it's all bundled, mm-hmm. you know, I, the example I've sometimes used, and this came from one of my mentors early on in my career, where she said, it's like a value meal. If you go mm-hmm. through a, a fast food uh, drive through uh, and you order the burger fries and the drink separate, that's mm-hmm. unbundling. You're going to end up paying more. If you buy it all as a value meal, uh, it costs a little less. It's all bundled in together. Certain things are included in that overall price and certain things are not. And I think you mentioned that the, the simulation is a part of that IMRT plan. And, and where some practices and hospitals get into troubles when they unbundle that and they use modifiers to, to get them paid. And, and we, you've seen penalties in that regard, right? Exactly. Especially when, you know, I was looking at OIG reports um, on how hard hit radiation oncology was. And specifically, when I look at uh, reports from like, say, 2013 to 2015, you know, the Medicare paid millions, CJ, um, in, in over, overpayments um, for the unbundling of that IMRT and those simulations, yep. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I've seen, Latanya, and I'm wondering if you could talk about it a little bit is, when uh, proper supervision. So a lot of radiation oncology physical locations might be like a satellite uh, department of the hospital, right? And for, um, for the hospital to build those, there has to be proper supervision. And that may mean a physician has to be on site. They might not need to be in the suite or something. And, And those rules can change a little bit, but supervision is also a part of it, right? Right, it is, CJ. And I've seen um, different radiation oncology um, uh, provider groups get in trouble because sometimes they will um, hire like what they call like a sit-in physician to come in when the primary physician is going to be out. And, you know, they they use the term for some of those sit-ins as like babysitter doctors. And I know- The providers, they don't like that term at all, but, you know, they sometimes they still use that term, but um, they can get into a lot of trouble when the, um, like I was telling you about the documentation, when it's not signed off in a timely manner, and then you're still billing the professional component of that as if you were there and signing off on that document. Yeah. And specifically one group. Um, was hit with like a $91,000 violation for not having the proper supervision and timely review of those documents. Yeah. So they have to really, really be careful. Yeah. There was another one, you know, you had shared some information with me. There was another radiation therapy group that paid three and a half million, I think last year. Um, and it had to do with a lot of different things like incorrect codes, dates of service, incomplete mm-hmm. documentation. Any thoughts on, on if you recall the details of that particular settlement? Right. It, and it happens all the time, CJ, where you would think if you're not paying attention to the, uh, the treatment plan and you're coding something that is for like a 3D plan and it should be daily treatments of uh, an IMRT plan because the codes are going to be different. And so with specifically with radiation oncology, where you're seeing that patient every single day. And so you're building like lots of codes. So the more codes that you're coding, and if you're coding those incorrectly, 
that's just fail, 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 one after another, right? right and right. so, and, and the codes, I mean, uh, radiation oncology, that delivery is not cheap. It's very exactly. expensive treatments, you know? Exactly. And so that's how, why the industry gets hit really hard because it's very costly. Exactly. You know? mm-hmm. One other thing that I recall um, some practices getting into trouble with was incorrect dates of service. So they might have done, um, so as we know, a lot of the edits, the correct coding uh, initiative edits relate to codes reported on the same date of service. And mm-hmm. so they may have performed everything on the same date of service, but in order to get a service paid, they reported on a different date of service so that it, it kind of unbundles. And I've seen some issues where incorrect dates of service have been reported and that's led to compliance enforcement. Is, is that something you've seen as well? Exactly, CJ. I mean, you have, I mean, you can't, you know, falsify the records. You have to report, you know, uh, it as it's happened. And so, you know, I always tell people when it comes to radiation oncology is very unique to coders because we do what, um, what we call abstract coding. You don't have someone that has like, say a super bill and telling you, okay, code this on this day and code that on a different day. You're coding according to what your documentation supports. And if you're falsifying that in any type of way, you're going to get into a lot of trouble. So you have to code it on the day that it happened, that the service occurred. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I I saw some examples where, where CIS, because sometimes there's um, um, electronic billing systems specific to radiation oncology that are used and people set them up in a way to say, okay, when we drop this plan, we want Mm -hmm. it to explode to these, you know, multiple codes and report them on these dates of service. And to your point, if it doesn't, if it's not legitimate that mm-hmm. those dates were the actual date you did it, um, mm-hmm. then that's a problem. And um, so I'm glad mm-hmm. you pointed that out. Yeah. So and, mm-hmm. go ahead, please. Oh, I was going to say in my profession, one of the best things that a coder could do, CJ, um, so that they are not unbundling is to run a report on the codes that they have already submitted. Run that report. Because truly radiation oncology fits like a puzzle. And if you initially run that report to see what you have built and compare that uh, um, to what your documentation support, you will be able to see how that puzzle fits together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, you know, in your current role uh, with helping clients uh, with the software, the audit uh, manager software, could you talk about some advantages that might exist in a software like that for people who are dealing with these types of audits? How does that help them? Absolutely, CJ. Healthicity has the um, the audit manager software. And within that software, um, radiation oncologists and many multi-specialty um, providers can build what we call documentation checklists and procedure checklists. So when we talk about things that um, have the potential to be unbundled, you can create your documentation checklist to specifically check to make sure that you're not unbundling those uh, various procedures. And also you can uh, create customizable documentation checklists to make sure that revenue-wise, you're code capturing everything that is billable 
you know, from a revenue cycle standpoint, uh, you're you're maximizing what has um, capturing that revenue for your organization, CJ. And the audit manager software is amazing at customizing those checklists that would really benefit not many multi-specialty uh, providers, including radiation oncology. Well, the clients are lucky to have you then because it sounds like you help customize it for them when they need that help. Exactly, CJ. And thank you for pointing that out. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Well, we're getting kind of close to the end of our time. I want to make sure I, I leave you some some time for any last minute comments or summary. Um, what, what kinds of uh, major things do you think are really important takeaways from our discussion today? Um, I think one of the main uh, takeaways that I would want to focus on, CJ, is uh, for the, um, the medical coder to know your plan, to run those reports, to use the audit manager software to build those documentation checklists, your procedure checklist. And as an auditor, whenever the auditor uh, does a final audit findings and make that final recommendation that the managers, the directors are paying attention to those audit findings because the audit manager software has these really robust reports that um, auditors use, CJ, uh, to communicate uh, to the managers and directors so that they can create action plans so that if an external auditor comes in to audit that facility, that they pass those audits based upon the software, using the software that the audit manager provides and building those custom checklists to ensure that their facility is acting in compliance with uh, the regulations, CJ. You know, yeah. and you touched on that many times before. What type of organization are you working for or working right. with? Is it a compliant organization? Because truly, that's where you want to be. You want to make sure that you your organization is compliant and doing things properly. Absolutely. And you want to you want to walk the line too, because you don't want to leave legitimate revenue on the table. So, you know, I've never been one to say, you know, go severely under codes to where you're leaving legitimate revenue. It's like, you've done the service. You've mentioned this is expensive. You want to Mm -hmm. capture every legitimate uh, charge. You just don't want to, you know, cross that line. One thing that I found really helpful and you've mentioned it already is knowing your payer guidelines. A lot of these patients, not all, but a lot of them will be older and they, be, they may be Medicare patients. And so I think it's essential that you look at Medicare guidelines, especially the National Correct Coding Initiative when it comes to these codes. I, I recall a conversation I had at one point with some radiation oncology groups um, that I was helping with, with some work. And they said, well, the CCI edits say I can use a modifier 59, so we're going to use it. Well, you only are allowed to use that if it's a legitimate use. It doesn't mean use it all the time. It means use it when the circumstances are appropriate. And I think some groups have gotten into trouble because they've used these modifiers inappropriately to bypass payer edits. And knowing Medicare guidelines, either your your LCD, your local coverage determination, or mm-hmm. if there's a national coverage determination, knowing those specific requirements, because some of those policies get really detailed. 
Exactly. And you you make a very good point, CJ, because sometimes as an auditor, um, if we see that you're overusing anything and we run a report, that gives us the ability to take a deep dive to see if you're really utilizing those codes and those modifiers properly. You know, so overutilization is a red flag, CJ. Absolutely. And you're not the only one doing it internally. OIG and other enforcement agencies are doing it externally. They have national data. They can find the people who are outliers. That doesn't mean they're automatically doing it wrong. But if they're overutilizing, they're going to do a deeper dive and then they'll find out. So, well, this has been a great conversation. Latanya, any last minute thoughts before we close up? CJ is always a pleasure. Absolutely. (laughs) Always a pleasure. (laughs) Well, thank you for your expertise and thank you everybody for listening to another episode of Compliance Conversations. We look forward to uh, having future guests and uh, having you as uh, listeners uh, listen into our future podcast. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm. Thank you, CJ. Compliance Conversations is sponsored by Healthicity. Healthicity designs software and services that simplify compliance and auditing challenges that reduce your risk and save you money. Where others see complexity, we see simplicity. For more information, visit healthicity.com.